It's a brand new day, and we're putting the AM in American politics. We've seen the darkness of division and despair and are now jumping into the light of a bright path forward. Progress is here, and we're sharing its story with you, for you, all with the help of Signal Boost. Now, here are your hosts, Zerlina Maxwell and Jess McIntosh. Welcome to Signal Boost. This is Jess McIntosh. I am here, as always, with my partner in feminism, Zerlina Maxwell. And we are joined right now by one of our favorite people, W. Kamau Bell. He's here because his Emmy award-winning series, United Shades of America, premieres its sixth season on Sunday on CNN. So that's what you're doing on Sunday. You know what you're doing. Um, six seasons. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you that's very like much. That's unheard of these days. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it, it is, and I definitely have, am first ballot TV Hall of Fame. I want to be clear about that. But uh, <laughs> also, it's like eight episodes a year, so it sounds like a lot more than it is. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot that goes into producing just that one thing, though. It's like yes. you, no, you're it's, traveling, you're yes. talking to a lot of different people. Yeah, we're basically um, making eight documentaries a year, which is more than most documentary companies make. So it's a lot. Fact, fact. Just you, and you, you, you traveled this year like that's I mean, that's that's where I want to start. Like this yeah, year was yeah. different than all of the other seasons. You were out in America during the pandemic, like while while Zerlina and I were hosting the show, talking about how bored we were in the house. You were not in the house board. Um, I would have loved to have been in the house board. <laughs> But apparently I signed Sweat a contract. Sweatpants life was I not can't. a thing for you. <laughs> yeah, apparently my contract said I could not be in the house board. And I had to tell my three daughters, I'm going to get on a plane and fly across the country. And they're like, but we can't go down the street to school. Could you explain this to me? No, you can't. I was can't. like, capitalism. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so it was, yeah, we were out there. I mean, I, you know, I joke about it, but it was the scariest season we've ever shot. And, you know, I shot with the KKK, so I have a lot of things to compare this to. But, yeah, it was, and as a black man who's in his 40s, who's got all the comorbidities. COVID was like, I felt like COVID was looking for me. So it was a, it was actually, <laughs> I, I came back and my doctor's like, we should adjust your blood pressure medication. I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. I, I, I <laughs> Don't you think life is going to address out. that? Yeah. 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 So Not being on planes in the pandemic is probably good for your blood pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I'm a care. I'm a, I'm a, I gr hold grudges and I hold uh, anxiety. So it was still here. Oh, no, me too. So, so I, I think I want to start there. Like, just how did you navigate that? Just practically speaking. Uh, so I was, I was COVID tested every day. Uh, we shot okay. like 99% of the season was shot outdoors, which as we've heard yesterday with the CDC is a much better place to be to not get COVID. Uh, and then if anything we shot indoors, there were big open doors or big open windows or fans to keep airflow going. Um, we stay, we know you have to stay in hotels that you can trust are like safe hotels to stay in. So you're not staying in the center of town a lot of the times, which then means there's not a lot of good food to eat. Yay. And then all your Uber Eats shows up cold. Uh, and so, yeah, it was, a, and then, you know, but it really was like I, a friend of mine who works on the show, Dwayne Kennedy, who's a comic I've known forever was, was like, we basically created our own COVID pod on the road. So that otherwise I think I would have gone absolutely like, you know, I, I would have, it was, a, it, there was a mental health challenge to just like, what am I doing with my life out here in the world shooting a TV show? And so luckily Dwayne was there. So we could both be like, what are we doing with our lives out in the world <laughs> shooting a TV show? That's really funny. <laughs> I mean, it seems like this year was this year. I mean, this year was made to be explored by a show like yours. It would have 
probably been better for you to not have to do this, but <laughs> worse for us. 100%. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, we I mean, ran the gamut. Like, you got pandemic, you got racial uprising, you got a freaking insurrection. And if you lived I, in California, you got a day. You've been really you, frustrated to. And if you lived in California, you woke up it? one day and it was red. The sky was red. Oh, guys, right. That happened. Yeah. I forgot that. Yeah, that actually yeah, didn't make my mental list. No, it does. No, that's, for people who live in Northern California, yeah. we will never forget the red day. And none of the pictures you saw on Instagram covered it effectively. Uh, yeah. So it was. So there was a lot going on. Yeah. And, you know, so it was a. Yeah. But also, it was an interesting time. I definitely feel like we documented a very particular era in America, hopefully, unless COVID wants to do season three. Um, but yeah, so it's like, it's definitely, I felt good about that, but also, yeah, it was also like, you sort of get out there and you'd be like, what, is this that important? Am I an essential worker? <laughs> like, I don't think so. I have actually asked myself that question a lot. Like, am I willing to die to do this? Mm. And like other people seem to be. Yeah. Is, is there something wrong with me that I am actually not super excited to go run through a sea of COVID to cover a thing. See, we, we um, have a problem where we're thoughtful yeah. people and not everybody, I've learned that not everybody is a thoughtful person. Uh, but yeah, no, it's a, it's it was a lot. It was a lot. That's a theme on our show. <laughs> critical yeah. thinking. Critical thinking yes. skills. So, so I actually want to start with where we sort of ended our last conversation about last season because I feel like so much has happened since then. I mean, Every season you're tackling race in a very specific way. But I don't think that people who maybe had not been familiar with some of the things that you're talking about and you're addressing in the show, I feel like they couldn't see it quite clearly before pandemic. And pandemic was like, you know, it took off the rose-colored glasses and it like made everything crystal clear for people. They were like, whoa, racism is a real problem. Um, when you were shooting this season, did the conversations you were having, did they change? Like, and you attribute them to that increased amount of awareness due to the pandemic? Well, yeah, I think if you look back at the history of the show, especially if you go from episode one to like this episode here, you can see that America has gone through some shit. You can see that I've gone through some things too. Like my afro is way nappy or way less kempt and there's a lot more gray and I'm carrying some pandemic weight. So you can see that like the person hosting this show has actually gone through some shit. And, um, and, I, and, the, and therefore, especially this season, every conversation is framed by COVID. Every because the fact that we're outside, the fact that we're that we're masked up, the fact that we ha give everybody all the people who come on the set get a rapid test before they sit down, and like we have an episode about economic uh, inequality that we filmed in South Carolina, and a lot of the stuff people talked about was directly related to things were bad before COVID, and now they're even right. worse. So absolutely, the conversations changed this season because of the nature of what the country was going through. And and I think, you know, you said rose-colored glasses. I feel like it's not like we took off the rose-colored glasses. It's like when you buy a brand new pair of rose-colored glasses and oh. you step out of the sunglass shop and somebody bumps into you and they fall on the ground and then somebody steps on them. The rose-colored glasses are gone. <laughs> right. And yeah, you yeah. forgot to get a receipt. You forgot to get a receipt for the rose-colored glasses. You said something in 2020, I think when season five was coming out, that um, that surprised me. You said that racism in America had gotten worse since 2016. And sitting here in my whiteness, I'm usually like, 
it got more visible. It didn't get worse. But maybe that's a sort of naive optimism that I'm allowing myself to have that like we've always been this bad. Just the particular the, the worst of us are real loud about it now. And but maybe we've gotten worse. I don't know. Talk about that. I mean, I think the thing that has gotten worse, certainly there has always been there's always been police shootings of unarmed black folks. We didn't hear about all of them because they weren't because they weren't all filmed and we didn't have social media. So, yes, that is absolutely those things have happened. You know, you can look at the numbers. Numbers go up and down. I'm not there always has been race, structural racism. There's always been inequality in public schools for black kids and Latinx kids and indigenous kids. Yes, absolutely. However, we had a president who encouraged the worst side of the racists. So the people who were just regular level racist and maybe just racist at home stormed the Capitol. Right. <laughs> so, and I think that even I forget that like, oh, yeah, that happened. And it wasn't it wasn't 10 years ago. It was just it was the beginning of this year. And we sort of like yada yada it already. But so I think that President Trump absolutely has. He drove a wedge into the division and made the division deeper. And I think he did some things that probably I, I really do think it is a wrap on America being the greatest country on earth. I think that is, I mean, not that it was, but we really did a great job of exporting <laughs> yeah. that narrative. And now I think the rest of the world is like, no, 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 you make good superhero movies. The right. rest of it we, you can keep. Yeah. That's so real because I think, I think a lot about just the, even before the pandemic, how that, that I think started to become clear for people because it was, it's one thing to elect a president that the world doesn't like or find, you know, yeah. not desirable. And, George and W. Bush. Like, yes. Yeah, like, you know, like a, a regular Republican. Now he's and, a regular Republican. Isn't regular, that funny? Right, right. It, it's amazing. Or only that, racist that's, in his house. That's <laughs> the president that, like, made me an outspoken progressive. And yet I, I look marched. back at him like, oh, how quaint. Mm. Um, but, but I feel like, you know, the world has strong opinions about American leaders, but it wasn't until this president where, because I think his supporters also were so ridiculous. They wear the MAGA hats and they, you know, the memes they share and just the things that they talk about. It's, it's so, so next level crazy, mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. lack of a better word. I gotta find a better one. Um, I'm working on that one. I've, um, I've looked up that wingnut, I've, wingnut, wingnut works because it is work? just, it is, it is it is explicitly from polit from politics is what, okay, I've, is what I've settled. I like yeah. wingnut. Yeah. So I yeah. feel like the wingnut. He he actually because he sort of was so out there. He exposed the the Americans to actually share a lot of those thoughts and those beliefs, and and I think that's why it sort of made our reputation abroad even worse than before because it was like oh it's not just the president that's trash it's actually all of these people that are being loudly supporting him. I want to go back to the insurrection. That's really why I started this, this whole rant. I love that you said we almost yada, yada, yada it, right? To, three months later, you know, President Biden is going to be doing a speech this week in the same room where the shaman was standing at the podium. <laughs> Do you get the sense that, you know, America's going to have a very hard and long time processing what happened on January 6th, just because I think it, it's all, it ranks as one of the ugliest days in our history. Well, I think we're, the reverberations of January 6th, I think will continue for a long, long time. I don't know what the, how many years is, but I do think that it is in some sense, 
like that we we're going to look up like say 10 20 years and some innovation is going to happen somewhere on the planet and people are going to be like oh my god look at that amazing thing that those people did there that is great and we're like oh good for them and then another one's going to happen there and then another one and then we're going to be like didn't that stuff used to happen here and a lot of that is due to trump and trump just trump in general, and then really COVID and our response to COVID made it so that even if people thought we were the greatest country in the world, they couldn't even come here. So I think the reverberations of that are going to go for a long time. And eventually, you know, <laughs> when you go to Rome, a lot of what you're going to see is the stuff that used to be. Mm, and I think, yeah. and, you know, and, and, and Rome used to rule the planet, from what I understand, mm -hmm. or a significant portion of the planet. And we don't realize that's yeah that happens a lot through history that a, that a that a country an empire is feels to be ruling the planet and then their turn is over and Trump gave away our, it just gave away our turn. Somebody else is going to go to Mars first. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going <laughs> to. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. first man 100%. on the moon is not going to be American. <laughs> no, no, the first man on Mars. Yeah, no, it's. A, because because whenever you see the like, especially that's a great one, like NASA, whenever you see those innovations, they show you like maybe the white guy who stepped on the door and then they cut to a picture filled with like immigrants and black women like who are all like doing the work to make that happen. Those people are not that the picture is going to be a lot, uh, a lot less uh, colorful. People are Unless it's New Zealand and they just send a woman to begin oh, with. True. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm, yeah. Believe <laughs> they me. might just get it right. You know. Do you know the movie Shawshank Redemption, the, where the, Tim Robbins' character is like, "Say what, Taneo? He's thinking about this place he can escape to. I do that. New Zealand. Uh, no, we do that that's too. My joke. I do this. This is my 2016. My line that I would say: If we lose, I'm moving to New Zealand. Yeah. Because if we lose, people launch a nuke and we will all die. So New Zealand. I looked it up. It's the safest place to live in the event of a nuclear event on one of the other continents. I looked this all up. I was like planning it and then I never went and now we're not allowed to go. No, so no, and, just, now, and now- I feel like I missed my moment. You, I think you did. I think now New Zealand knows Americans have discovered them yeah. and it's gotten a lot harder to just float in over there. So yeah, I, I made my wife, I didn't mean to make my wife unhappy when I said this, but I was like, man, if I wasn't married with kids, I'd be in New Zealand right now. And she was like, what was that? No, you don't understand. I just mean that, like, like, it's too complicated for us all to move. Like, like, I did not. Like, That's really funny. Okay. So back to this country, which is sad. Um, you deal with policing in this season, which seems to be a conversation that is like paralyzing us right now. Like we are we are so divided on it. We're divided on the left about how to handle yeah. it. Even even among the people who agree that the whole system is broken and it has to be like burned to the ground and started over again. There's vehement like arguments about how to talk about that, whether to talk about that, like we're all over the place. So, so that's how you're premiering this season. How, how did you decide to tackle it? Like what angle did you decide to take it from? Who did you talk to? Well, first of all, the news decided we should tackle it. We didn't really make that decision amongst ourselves. Right. I mean, we get to make less and less decisions every season. The news is like, you need to do this. You need to do this. You need to do this. So uh, this was definitely one that before we even started thinking about the next season, we're like, well, we're definitely going to do one on policing. And then it became about how and where. And very quickly, I was like, you know, when I moved back to the Bay Area in 2000, uh, was it 2014, after I lived in New York for a couple of years, but I'd lived in the Bay Area since 97, 
very I started hearing the conversation around defund the police from a activist uh Kat Brooks who works with the anti-police terror project and has a radio show at KPFA here and I met her she started talking about defund the police and like many of of your white friends just I was like oh oh my <laughs> look my stars Where's we'll my catch the serial cash? killers yeah exactly right, I, right, right. And I think that's because the police have embedded a narrative into into many of us that we should be afraid of them and we shouldn't mess with them and they should do whatever they want to do. And if we mess with them, they're going to mess with us. So, and then Kat Brooks lovingly like sat me down and explained to me that that's not, that it, that it, here's what it is. It is about the fact that, for example, in Oakland, we spend around 50% of the city's municipal fund on policing, but only four to 5% of the calls to the police are for violent crimes. And then everything else right. is for things that if you look at that, you go, yeah, police aren't the best at handling those things. As we've seen with like Dante Wright, they're not even great with handling like a routine traffic stop. They're not great with like, there's a person in the street having a mental health episode who is screaming and yelling. They're not great with that. So what Defund the Police is saying and the Anti-Police Terror Project is saying is that we should take that money, we should take that money away from the police and put it either create new resources or fund resources that are underfunded like social workers and the foster care system and the public school system because the big thing i think that i take away from this the more you spend on educating kids the less you spend on incarceration mass incarceration so so the fact is is like it's just about putting the money like if all your money is going into marshmallows and you have very few very little money going into vegetables things are not going to be good in your household <laughs> like you know so right and so this is that we've got too much marshmallow money and not enough uh, kale money. So I think that the idea being that, like, we have to figure out a way to right size the system and involved in that. And this is where things get all like you said, people get all like how to burn the system down is really for a lot of people. And I'm on this side reimagining what policing is in this country. And some of that okay. gets to like people saying abolish the police. And I and I certainly support. I support that idea and I get where that comes from. I wouldn't say I'm a person who's like out there yelling to boss, boss, please, because I'm saying let's defund and create a new system. And I do think that eventually it gets to what the abolish movement would want. But I know we got every every person who even believes in abolish knows there's a long way to go before we get there. Yeah, especially because like sometimes it, it, it's a matter of, you know, you, you getting to the goal, but not alienating the people you're going to need to yeah. get you to the goal. Right. So sometimes it's like, yeah, you want to be, everybody wants to be the most radical, progressive they can, but I've also lived on earth and I know human beings and I know that things take time and like, I'm patient, but I'm, I mean, I know you shouldn't be patient, but cause like that's sort of the, the whole thing about progress is, is, is that urgency, especially for people who are, who are harmed mm -hmm. by these policies. But I also think that if you push too hard, too fast, the white backlash is, that's a real yeah. thing. That's well, yeah, it's a real, real thing, thing, and it's a, and it's all and it and it comes from places you don't expect from people who are allegedly your allies and your co-conspirators. So, yeah, I think it's also not even about. I think like for the, the anti-police terror project, I don't know if it's patient. It's just got a plan. None of this stuff yeah. happens overnight. You have to, and, and the anti-police terror project. Like just yesterday, they were standing with the family of Mario Gonzalez, who's a Latinx man who was killed in the same manner of George Floyd in Alameda, California, out here in the Bay Area. And they had a rally and they showed up and they gave speeches and they talked about refund the community and refund our public health system. So you have to plan. You can't just get there. You have to actually do the work and plan and, and, and plan it out. And so I think that nobody who's about very no the, the general the abolition movement knows there are steps to get there. Right. We only have two in minutes the last left, couple, so we, do we have to I start know. with the Ku Klux Klan, right? I mean, that's the, 
<laughs> we can't get through the whole interview without asking you, like, I mean, because I interviewed. Come I interviewed, on, can't we? <laughs> I, I forget his name right now, but what it, what's the name of the black guy that, like, he's friends with the Grand Dar- Wizard? Daryl Davis. Daryl Davis. Yeah. Davis. Yeah. Okay. My brother from another so, mother and father. Yeah. Exactly. So, so I um I talked to him recently um about sort of the race issues that were happening in the country. Um, but I just I'm so fascinated by people who are brave enough. Is it bravery? First question. Um, to just put themselves in that environment with people who you know literally their whole worldview is that you are inferior. I mean, you know, if anything, I think my experience with the clan is not really comparable to his because mine is like um. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good analogy. It's like the, uh, my version is the Hey, Ra- hey Macarena version. I had one hit song. <laughs> like I did. <laughs> it was, it's my hit single. I went there for a few hours. I went there for one week, basically, and spent a few hours with the clan. Daryl Davis is out there doing that work like the Grateful Dead constantly on tour. So That's hilarious. that we are in very different universes of that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that like the, the only thing I will say is I was there in 2014, in 2015, before Trump. And at that point, people thought the, the, the Klan was a joke. Now, the Klan is in still large part a joke in some sense. I mean, yeah. they have, but the people, a lot of those people who were who were in the Klan or had those ideas understood that you should put on a crisp white button up and you should mm. get a tiki torch and a J. Crew haircut. And then your ideas can, be, can become more palatable. So I think that like the the underbelly, the, so at the lowest level of white supremacy, there is going to be this sort of like terroristic Ku Klux Klan presence. But we all know that the most harmful version of it is Tucker Carlson, Rick Santorum, uh, right. Josh Hawley. So people who are mm-hmm. in positions of mainstream power and elected and, and elected officials. So I think that like to me, the Klan is like the hot dogs at Costco. It may get you through the door, but it ain't the big. It ain't the most important part of this. W. Kamal Bell, it's been awesome to talk to you. I cannot wait to see the next season of this, and I hope you get to do seven and eight, and I hope you get to do it safely. Um, yeah, I just want to travel around Italy today. tasting pasta. I went, when do I get that gig at CNN? I, that I see, yeah, get really, that gig next. I see Stanley yeah. Tucci got that gig. I was like, when, when do I get past the pasta <laughs> gig? I'd like to take some pasta. That's a dream. Stanley Tucci can talk about racism for a while. Yeah. <laughs> we, should, we should switch shows. That would be amazing. Yes. <laughs> you know what? You should write this down because I do feel like you and Stanley Tucci, that would probably be really fun. <laughs> I, would, I would watch that. I would watch the hell out of that. You guys go and eat pizza. No, I want. I like the idea of me going to eat pizza and he goes to Ferguson. That's what I like. Thank you so much. Thank you. I hope we get to talk again soon. We will. Thanks for listening to the Signal Boost podcast. We'll be back tomorrow with more news.